It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipittv. Michael Kiss. I don't know what we're yelling about! And Benjamin Solak. I know it's a big night when he asked for honey. He said he wants honey. It's the Kissed and Solak Show. You got any idea? Right here on BGN Radio. You are flying high on the Kissed and Solak Show, Episode 1, your home for the best Eagles analysis in the game. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow my X and O work for Inside the Pylon. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. that's K-I-S-T. As always, I am joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Seven Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He once rode in the trunk of my car for 30 minutes to the mean streets of Mobile, Alabama to get to the Exos <sighs> film room because that's the kind of grind he's about. He is Benjamin Solak of Bleeding Green Nation and NDT Scouting. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, can you believe the fellas in charge brought us back? How you doing, brother? Uh, I, if I had known that I was going to get reminded three times a week that I rode in your trunk, I would never <laughs> have ridden in your trunk. But I'm feeling <laughs> wonderful, Mike. I'm, uh, I am donning the Eagles Super Bowl champions cap that just arrived in the mail for me today. So that's not coming off for a while. And uh, just generally uh, enjoying life, my man, as always. And yes, I am going to remind you of that, Ben, a lot and repost it on Twitter a lot. Uh, that's the, the, that's <sighs> just the kind of grind you're on, bro. You got you don't care how you got to get it done. You're going to get to the film room. You're going to grind some film, man. That's why we're here. That's what got us here. Take pride in it. <laughs> okay, I definitely will. I'm going to throw it in the Twitter bio now. <laughs> okay, so on Monday's show... BGN Radio episode 301. We cover the re-signing period to discuss potential routes that Howie Roseman could take to get us in the black in regards to the cap situation. We'll reinforce some of the ideas of which we spoke as we move through this series. But for full context, make sure you go back and listen to that. To sum it up, though, things are not as bleak as they seem. Roseman will use every tool at his disposal to make the Eagles financially solvent again. And as we pointed out, there is no rush to do so. So, with that said, on our third installment later on this week, we will be leveraging the discussions regarding the resigning and free agency phase to give you a more defined picture of what the draft may look like for the Eagles in late April. Before we get into the meat and potatoes of free agency, we have a quick update to the coaching situation. It's a very fluid thing going on. On Monday, I said that wide receiver coach Mike Grow could potentially move to quarterback coach with Press Taylor moving to wide receiver coach. Turns out those rumors were just that. 
as Press Taylor has been named the new quarterback coach, filling the vacancy left by John DiFilippo, who has moved on to be the new Minnesota Vikings offensive coordinator. Ben, I know this wasn't in the audio of the Monday show, but I am going to give you some credit here. Before the show, Mike. <laughs> as we were talking about the reshuffling of this coaching staff, you were saying look out for Press Taylor as the QB coach and a hat tip to you, good sir, because they got it wrong. And I admittedly was leaning in the wrong direction as well. You had it right. But what this does is create an interesting situation in regard to Mike Rowe and Deuce Daly. Our thought was... You interviewed Deuce Daly for the head coach position before Doug Peterson was hired. He has aspirations of climbing the ladder. They put him in a position to be the offensive coordinator at the Shrine game two years ago, which signaled the testing of the waters for him in that role down the line. And here's the interesting part about that too, Ben, which really speaks to the point that you made. I look back at that staff of the East-West Shrine game. Press Taylor was the quarterback coach for that game. So if we're following the money here, And we know Pat Shermer, the new New York Giants head coach, wanted to interview Deuce for the offensive coordinator position. Are you willing to make another prediction by saying that Deuce will be the Eagles' new offensive coordinator? But before you do that, as you pointed out to me earlier today, here's a wild card from John McMullen, who has pretty much nailed all the coaching moves from the Eagles this offseason. He says that the Eagles may split offensive coordinator duties between Gro and Staley, with Gro taking on the passing game, Deuce taking on the running game, which, not going to lie, would make a ton of sense. I don't know how appealing that is to either party. Ben, what say you? Yeah, very interesting stuff. So when it comes to Press Taylor, reason to be excited with Press is this. He was at Tulane, I believe it was, just doing you know quarterbacks, offensive coordinator stuff there. Then when Chip Kelly became head coach of Philadelphia, Mike, he brought on Press Taylor to be an offensive quality control assistant. Now, remember, that was the exact same thing Andy Reid did with Doug Peterson, right? He got a little bit of coaching experience under his belt, and immediately you pull him up in the NFL ranks without him having much experience calling plays at college or anything like that, and you bring him up to be an offensive quality control assistant. When you have a mind that you really, really like that you want to bring in, that's kind of how you get him, right? Now, he he becomes you know offensive quality control guy. He's around for a few years, and then the Peterson switch happens. Peterson becomes the head coach, mostly cleans house. Of Chip's guys, right? But not only does he keep Press Taylor, he promotes him to assistant quarterbacks coach. And John Filippo, who was quarterbacks coach at that time, it was well known that Filippo was going to be moving onwards and upwards in the world. He was coming from an offensive coordinator job, for goodness sakes, and he didn't do a bad job there. He just got cleaned out of Cleveland. That's the reality because it was Cleveland, right? Reading the, the tea leaves now a little bit later, it makes sense that it would seem that Press Taylor was a guy that Peterson was very interested not only in keeping, but getting around Filippo and the quarterbacks anticipating DeFilippo potentially leaving. So oh. Press Taylor, the quarterback's coach, the fact that that was immediate and Philadelphia feels very comfortable sitting and waiting at offensive coordinator, not making a choice right away, is what indicates to me that Press Taylor as quarterback's coach was something foreseen, right? That was something yeah. that was planned a little bit. When it comes to Mike Groh as the passing game coordinator and Staley as the running game coordinator, that has potential to be very dynamic. You know, that has potential to be something very, very interesting there. And I believe that's something that, that was similarly done with McVeigh. I think that at, at Los Angeles, he had kind of a passing game and running game, two different coordinators. Matt LaFleur was obviously his offensive coordinator by name. But, you know, I think there was a bit of a division as far as the, the manner in which the ball was moved. So there's a lot of potential there. I think that because Peterson calls plays, it gives you the freedom to kind of do that, split things up, passing and running. You have more specific guys looking at specific tape, with which they have much more experience. There's, there's dynamic potential there to be a really, really in-depth sort of a team, certainly. What does worry me is this. 
the division under Reich and DiFilippo was Reich did a lot of third down stuff. DiFilippo did a lot of red zone stuff. And Philadelphia was excellent offensively in those situations, you know, situational football on third down in the red zone. They were the best team on third down. They were the second best team in the red zone as far as efficiency metrics go. You wonder if Grow and Staley are divided by running game and passing game. I would imagine you wouldn't want to be like running game and red zone or like passing game and third down because you want the freedom to call either one run or pass on third down in the red zone, right? And so if that's the case, then I think that you you worry, does Peterson lose some of that dynamic ability on third downs and in the red zone? Will Philadelphia be as successful situationally, extending those drives, scoring seven points instead of three, which were those were huge mechanisms in getting Philadelphia to the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl. They were great on third down and in the red zone on that night against the Patriots. So that's where I'm worried. That's where I'm a little bit hesitant. Maybe maybe Peterson gets you know another offensive mind up in there who he just kind of gives that situational work to, and they spend a lot of time breaking down. Oh, on third down, the Redskins do this. On the red zone, the Giants do X, whatever. Maybe that's the solution, but that's where my pause is with that potential system. Yeah, do you think if they try to split it up that way, that that's not going to be enough to please Deuce Daly, who was blocked from an offensive coordinator interview, at least it was rumored so, uh, do, do you think that would be damaging to that relationship long term? I'm not positive because this is such a, I don't want to say unprecedented, but it would be an irregular division, something that we don't like often see. Who knows kind of thing, right? <laughs> right. So I, I don't think there's enough of a connotation around being the running game coordinator yet to look at it a bad way on the, you know, other side, there's not enough around it to look at it in a good way. You know what I mean? Like you could look at it as they weren't willing to fully promote me to offensive coordinator. But I think that, you know, there's a very easy way to tell Staley, you want to be an offensive coordinator? Well, we'll give you running game coordinator. If you coordinate a running game well and you start getting more offensive coordinator interview requests from other teams, we'll let you go have those, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that can be a little bit of the trade-off there, you know what I mean? If, if you really need to sweeten the deal. If you want to be a good offensive coordinator, your running backs coach, I think the first thing that you should do is prove that you can be a good running game coordinator. You might ask yourself, what does that mean? Deuce Staley wasn't the guy drawing up all the running plays for Philadelphia. That was a lot of Peterson and then a lot of Jeff Stoutland, the offensive line coach, who's my favorite positional coach in the Eagles. He's amazing. He was more involved in designing the running game than Staley was. And if you think about why, it makes sense. The running game, if it has you know seven major movers on any play, five of them are offensive linemen. So Stoutland was the one who had the heaviest hand, right? And then obviously Peterson who, and Reich, who are coordinating the offense, they're going to be involved as well. Staley is making sure that his running backs know, you know, which holes to press, how to go through their progressions, which blocks to read, so on and so forth, right? If you make him running game coordinator, it's something you've got to talk about with Stoutland. Staley's going to have a lot heavier of a hand in working with the offensive line and designing run concepts. Philadelphia did an amazing job mixing in gap blocking zone blocking. We talk about the whams and the traps that they run. Those are really complex things that require a well-tuned, well-coached offensive line. Stoutland will still help. But Staley has something to prove as the running game coordinator. It's not just the title bump. There would be work that he has to do that he does not currently have. So that, in my opinion, is a step up for him to prove that he can coordinate an offense. So this is a very fluid situation. I'm sure once we're done recording here, some news is going to drop and it's going to totally age what we just talked about. But we'll we'll keep you updated Every time. on all the happenings. Yeah, exactly. Uh, continuing on with our offseason preview, which is the main topic of this show, Today, we are looking at the free agency phase. Obviously, this is also a fluid situation based on a number of factors, heavily dependent on the result of the re-signing phase. But there are some positions that we will likely need to target either in free agency or the draft. 
Free agency officially starts March 14th, and with tight end Trey Burton likely pricing himself out of Philadelphia, and rightfully so, with a featured role in his future, Zacherts is here, he's the starter. Uh, Ben, you look at this potential tight end pool, and you've got a regressing and aging Jimmy Graham, whose best days are likely behind him. Austin Sferian Jenkins will be 26 when the season starts, and he's shown some playmaking ability the last year with the Jets, but he also has some baggage too. Bucks tight end Cameron Brait is a weapon in the red zone, but he's likely going to get a tender as a restricted free agent. Uh, so that will cost extra draft capital, of which we currently don't have much of uh, if the Eagles wanted to bring him on. Bengals have two. Tyler Eifert is excellent when healthy, but I'll stress the when healthy part. There's also Tyler Croft as well. It's going to be interesting to see how the Bengals deal with that situation. Ben Watson and Antonio Gates could be your dad. Uh, ben, there's not a whole <laughs> lot that excites me here. And if you're looking to replace possibly both Trey Burton and if he's not restructured or doesn't retire or does retire Brent Selleck, you need a tight end that can either block and catch or one of each, depending on how the team feels about the future prospects of Billy Brown, who we spoke about yesterday. Austin Severian Jenkins is probably the one that excites me as a pass catcher. And if we're looking for a blocker, I think a solid signing would be Virgil Green from the Broncos. He's 30 years old. He's not going to catch 25 balls in a year, but he's likely a cheap pickup for that reason. And he'd be really useful in the 12 and 13 personnel sets where we bring out the two and three tight ends because he's a really strong blocker. Having skimmed the top of this potential pool, would you agree, Ben, or do you have another name that I haven't touched on as kind of a sleeper? No, it's not thrilling. Philadelphia is at a spot where I think that you're not going to be able to replace a Trey Burton in free agency because Trey Burton is inherently a unique player. Tight end size, wide receiver movement skills. And mm. it's not something, you know, you see, I'll put it to you this way. It's not something you see very often, except for in like the top guys, right? Burton is, is instead of being a, a dominant player because, you know, his inability to stay on the field because he struggles to block because he's still young. He was a little bit undiscovered and underutilized in Florida. He was a, you know, a quarterback for most of his high school career. He's more of a gadgety sort of a guy right now. Whereas right. The, the hope is for a team that signs him, they'll sign him to money that indicates they believe there's a lot more to uncover with him, that he can get a lot better, right? And so when you look for Burton options, I don't really think you're going to find a guy of his athletic potential. To me, it's a lot easier to figure out how you might replace Brent Selleck in the event that Brent Selleck is cut. I think that, yeah, the guy you identified, Virgil Green, is certainly a guy that you can get for about $2.5 million, $2 million, uh, mm. per year, sort of an average annual value. And he's a guy who can come in. He can provide you, you know, some pass-catching ability, enough that, you know, you're not – completely limited when he's on the field you know he knows what he's doing he's been in the league long enough he knows how to run around catch a football he's fine but primarily you're going to bring him in and he's going to be a strong blocker for you I also think that it would be interesting to see a guy like Niles Paul out of Washington he's the other guy who I think if you're looking at these cheap guys to bring in just to be tight end two who have some experience Niles Paul is the other name that I'll highlight simply because I, I think that he was never heavily utilized in Washington because Jordan Reed, Vernon Davis, he never really had an opportunity to see right. significant starting reps. But I've always liked his ability to work routes into the intermediate levels of the field. I've always thought that there might be a little bit more there. So maybe Philadelphia brings in a guy that they've seen in the division that they think is there, there's a little more to get out of him. Uh, and then Luke Wilson out of Seattle has never been bad. I think he's an yeah. Eddie Steady sort of a guy. And so I think Luke Wilson, I don't know – what Luke Wilson's going to run because I think Luke Wilson's a little bit younger than a lot of these guys we've talked about. And so maybe a team who is in more desperate need of a tight end is willing to put a little bit more into Wilson because he was a guy who never really got his moment because when he was supposed to have starting reps, that's when Seattle was able to trade for Jimmy Graham. 
And so we'll see, you know, Luke Wilson's a guy who I've starred as well. Yeah, and we're going to dig into those names as we get into free agency as this moves along. Let's go to linebacker because this really interests me yeah. as far as this whole dynamic works. There is a good chance Demario Davis returns to the Jets. Uh, the other option would be something like a one-year prove-it deal outside of New York. He played well last year. Veteran Navarro Bowman is impactful when he's 100%. Uh, he may be on the downside of his career on the other side of 30, but he did help the Raiders a lot last year. Uh, Titans linebacker Avery Williamson is something someone I put an asterisk by. He's yes. a sieve in coverage, uh, but is very, very good against the run, and he's only 26 years old, so I like that. Um, you've got Paul Puzlesny from Jacksonville. He has, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah it, there you go. Uh, Ben, the only possible free agent that I could really see supplanting Nigel Bradham, if it was like a one for one, if Bradham were to price himself out of Philadelphia is Bill's linebacker, Preston Brown, who, if he hits the market, it's because he will have priced himself out of Buffalo. So you kind of see the conundrum there. Are right. we mainly looking at depth pieces and role players here? Because after looking at it, I've only strengthened my position that if you can get Bradham for $7 million a year or less, that he should be the number one priority of the offseason. Oh, yeah. You trigger that in a heartbeat. Yeah. I'll put it to you this way. Plain and simple. Nigel Bradham is the best free agent linebacker on the on the market in 2018. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, he is, period. There is no better linebacker, which is why, you know, like I we, we talked about on the Monday show, Bradham's got Philadelphia by the gonads a little bit because he is the prized possession. And Philadelphia's in a tight cap space, so, you know, Bradham can kind of work around with them. Yeah, the only other name that really interests me is this Avery Williamson, this kid out of Tennessee. He's young. Williamson was a fifth-round pick, Mike, so he wasn't supposed to be good, but he's good, right? Like, that kind of came out of nowhere a little bit. And so he's been a talented player. He's a guy, primarily an inside linebacker. I think if you were to bring him on, you would want to really deploy him more so uh, in, in the middle. And maybe you end up moving Jordan Hicks outside. I think right. if Williamson, if that's your plan, but you have to be very firm on that. You have to make sure Jordan Hicks is okay with that, which, you know, that, that situation can get a little bit tricky. So I don't know how I feel about that as a situation. I think he's going to get better in coverage, Williamson is, though. I think he came in as a young player, raw player. He's panned out really well for the Titans. If he hits the open market, Philadelphia should absolutely put out feelers and see what that looks like. The only other one I can think of is uh, actually another divisional guy, Anthony Hitchens, uh, inside linebacker for the Cowboys, right, is a guy who – has always kind of been in and out, you know, as far as like a depth guy or a starter guy, you know, has he been good for the Cowboys? You know, he's not super loved there. The Cowboys linebacking situation is obviously very confusing every year. They can only win when, when Sean Lee is on the field, Mike. It only counts when Sean Lee is on the field. Anthony Hitchens <laughs> is a guy who I think one of the better coverage linebackers you're going to find on this market, which is the same. Right. A lot of these guys are pretty crummy in coverage. And so I think he's a guy you bring in. Uh, he is more so an inside linebacker, but I think you could play him at 4-3 Sam. I think he could play the Bradham role. Bradham spent a lot of time as, as more of like a Mike sort of a situation anyway. And so I think he, he could be a cheap option to fill the Bradham role. I wouldn't like that. Like, I don't think that's your ideal situation, bringing on a guy like Hitchens who doesn't stay healthy all the time, who it would be a bit of a positional shift for him. But if you miss out on Bradham and you really feel the need to go get somebody on the market, I think Hitchens is the name that you're starting right there. I agree with you, though. I think that this linebacking class is exceptionally weak as far as free agents go and that if Philadelphia's got to push very hard to re-sign Bradham. And if they can't, then you turn to the draft. Yeah, and with you mentioning Hitchens, I was really impressed with Hitchens when Lee was out 
the things that Hitchens was able to cover up in the run game with the linebackers around him struggling. I thought he played really well, but, uh, you know, as you said, he can't stay healthy, things of that nature. Ben, moving on to the next group, we had a bit of a disagreement on running back being a need. And at the time that we had that conversation, <laughs> we, we agreed to table this conversation and duel it out here. Let's set the stage. We have Jay Ajayi, who was on contract through next year. Uh, everybody knows about the concern with his knee, which could muddy his future with the team. But as it stands, he is our definitive starter next year. So let's put that in, you know, marker. Also right. in the contract is Corey Clement, who was good at all levels in the air attack, contributed on the ground, really exceeded everybody's expectations and played a key role in the playoffs, locking him in as running back number two today. And yes, as sir. many have had to do, I will self-report, publicly apologize for calling him a jag. I got it wrong. That's why we constantly strive to get better and evolve as evaluators using cases like these. So apologies to Corey Clement. You balled out, man. There. Boom. That's out of the way. (laughs) I got cosine. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Then you have the oft-injured Wendell Smallwood, who we know Deuce Staley really likes. And I can recall Deuce saying he had the best camp out of all the backs last year at the time. But Clement Mm -hmm. basically pushed him onto the healthy scratch list this season. And then lastly, the diminutive Donnell Pumphrey, who had a convenient hamstring injury last year that allowed the Eagles to sash him on injured reserve. Don't you you do that about my son, Donnell. As for the ball carriers not on contracts, you have LeGarrette Blunt, Darren Sproles. Decisions need to be made if you want to bring them back. And then return specialist Kenyon Barner, who the Eagles didn't tender last offseason, but ended up bringing him back after Sproles went down with that ACL and the broken arm. Ben, sell me on your case why the Eagles would not need a running back in free agency or the draft. That's very simple, Michael. When you have four running backs currently rostered, all of whom are on rookie contracts, you don't go spend more money on running backs. (laughs) You've got a guy like Ajayi. Maybe it's in Philadelphia's plans to give him an extension when he hits free agency, but more likely from what I can see, from what I can tell from the front office, Ajayi is a guy they brought in, and they're going to let him go because Ajayi is a guy who the league is very, very trepidatious regarding his long-term prospects because he has bad knees. You've got four running backs on rookie contracts. Uh, an undrafted contract, a fifth-round contract, a fourth-round contract, and then another fourth, fifth-round contract. Whatever Ajayi is, I think he was a fifth. But are two of the, but are two of them good? Corey Clement and Ajayi are very are both good. That's I'm talking about the good. others. I'm talking about the other two. Oh, okay, right, right. So, uh, okay, so yes, Ajayi and Clement are actually <laughs> both good. You do not yet know what you have with Danelle Pumphrey. I know that Philadelphia was upset about this pick. I'm here to tell you that Danelle Pumphrey is a good football player who added a huge amount of weight onto his frame for the combine, who is not going to continue to play at that weight, who injured himself in part because he added so much weight, was put on IR because he was not necessary to have this year, will come back at camp and be a better player. That is absolutely the anticipation with that. On top of that, you have Wendell Smallwood, who's a guy who can still, like, you know, he was not active because you had Blunt in front of him, right? You had Kenyon Barner, who is a better returner. So bring back Barner. Sure. Go ahead. You can re-sign Barner, Mike. That's the free agent you can go ahead and have. And that way you don't have to play Smallwood. The fact of the matter is this. You're in a bad cap situation. You've got four running backs, Mike. Four. All of them already under contract. You want to add another one? Can I put this scenario to, to, to you? And we're going to talk about some of the draft prospects on the next show. But I want to put this to you real quick. If we're at pick 32, we don't get a decent offer to trade back. There isn't an offensive tackle that we like there because, look, I don't know if I'm going to have any of the offensive tackles in my 
top 20. And with that shallow pool, they'll likely get pushed up the board and will be gone before they can get to us. If Ronald Jones from USC is sitting there at 32, do you pull the trigger on him? No, I do not pull the trigger. Okay, and I love Ronald Jones. Okay, because I saw your article today. I wanted to make sure. Yeah, Ronald Jones is built to be the the running back in a Doug Peterson, Kyle Shanahan system where you just run a ton of different things. You run outside zone and you you let him pass catch and everything. He would be incredibly dynamic. He'd be a great player. If they were to pick him, I'd be like, hey, that's kind of stupid. Don't pick running back with 32 overall, especially not in this class. And then I know that... Right, and after I beg, I'm so excited. Ron Jones is going to be amazing, right? Like I, I tend to be, you know, look on the bright side of life. Philadelphia should not be spending 32 on a running back. If they do, it's going to solve the Ajayi problem. You absolutely let him walk after 2019. Right. And then, sure, you've got five running backs on rookie contracts. Here's the thing. <laughs> Philadelphia traded up in the fourth round to go get Danelle Pumphrey, okay? They absolutely believe that he can be a part of their offense, right? Corey Clement was very much the receiving back this season because there was no Sproles and there was no Pumphrey. Now, Corey Clement has value as a receiver, but there's no way Philadelphia anticipated this much value. Corey Clement had 24 freaking catches over his career in Wisconsin, right? Yeah. And so you can absolutely have an offense where Ajay is your primary back who runs, and he has some pass-catching ability as well. Corey Clement's going to give you both. He's going to give you pass protection. He's going to give you pass catching. He's going to give you running. He's going to give you everything. And then you have a Danelle Pumphrey, who's your primary receiving back, who you, you know, you confuse personnel and scheme with. You put him out in the slot. You get him on mismatches, whatever. You can run a fantastic offense with those three running backs, Mike. And if Pumphrey doesn't pan out, then you check on Smallwood. You check on Barney. You see what you can get. And then if that's if none of that works, we saw last year how easy it is to acquire running backs at the trade deadline. Just go out and get one. There's no reason to be investigating the <laughs> running back free agent market. Now, I'm, I'm, pars- I'm partially with you, and you can always try to trade for a guy like a, a Spencer Ware, who I like really la- uh, a lot last year, but he went down with an injury. Cheap guys like that, you can bring into the system that can be effective in that three-headed monster. You can get the right production out of them for whatever role you want to use them for. So I'm partially with you there. I just really love Ronald Jones. So but, but we have two and a half months to to really dig our heels in on our draft crushes. Right. Ben, when we talked about the running back position, you said you had one more mystery box position of need. What position is that? Actually, so I do have two that I could think of as far as how Philadelphia might add a free agent. One of them is, I think, more of a like a, of a luxury. The other one, I think, is very clear. And I'm very upset with you, Mike, that you did not think of it in this yeah, I think I think I may have. Make a guess. Nickel Roby Coleman. No, so so the the second position is nickel is nickel back, and yeah, Roby Coleman is a guy. You know, Kyle Fuller out of uh, Chicago, Bryce Callahan out of Chicago. These are all nickel corners. Philip Gaines out of KC, who I've kind of highlighted as a Philadelphia lets P. Rob walk, which is very likely Patrick Robinson's heading out. These are cheap cheap nickels they could bring in, and I don't think the sell for cornerbacks is very tough. I think you you talk to a free agent quarterback, you say, listen, Patrick Robinson came in here, his career was shot, nobody wanted him. One year under Corey Onlin, defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz, playing the nickel back. Look, he's going to go make money somewhere else. Hey, you know Jalen Mills, that seventh rounder we drafted? Yeah, he's our starting corner. We develop corners here. Come play for us for a couple of years. You know, short contract. We're going to develop you very well. You can go make some more money, right? We just need a nickel, right? So I think that's an easy sell. And I hmm. think that Philadelphia should look a little bit in the nickel market. To me, very clear that they should be in the quarterback for agent market, Mike. Got to be in the quarterback yeah, for agent well, market because Nick Foles is going to get traded away. We're on the opposite side of the fence as far as the timing goes. If they trade him, percent getting traded. Then, then I'm one thousand percent wanting to draft Kyle Laletta, and I know you can't argue against that. The quarterback out of Richmond? I don't, yeah, well, I love Lauletta out of Richmond, but you shouldn't <laughs> be spending your fourth-round pick on a rookie quarterback. You don't need to be doing that. Here's what you do. You have – You're going to flip him for a second in the future anyway. Sure you are, Mike, but at this point, you have Carson Wentz 
who has started, what, 30 games in his career. You have Nate Sudfeld, who's never taken an NFL snap before. And then you've lost under this circumstance, under this situation, Foles. So you do not have a lot of snaps in your quarterback room. You do not have a lot of veteran leadership in your quarterback room. You've got Carson Wentz, young leadership, but it'd be nice to have that veteran guy, right? Foles, uh, Wentz had that both seasons that he's been here in Philadelphia. I'm telling you, you, you listen to this. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a, is a free agent. Mark Sanchez is a free agent. Chad Henney is a free agent. Derek Anderson is a free agent. Are any of these names exciting? No. Are all of them acceptable backup quarterbacks who can get you through a two, three game st- stint? Absolutely they are, right? That's not a problem. You get even deeper into it. You want to get a guy who's a little bit more, you know, maybe a long-term guy. Dude, Chase Daniel is a, is a uh, whatchamacallit, he's a, he's a free agent again out of New Orleans. You could have stopped at Fitzpatrick. I'm down with Fitzpatrick out of all those names. I think he, the way he played for Tampa Bay last year, I'd, I'd be perfectly fine with that. And you want a young quarterback pair with a veteran veteran quarterback for sure. I, I get your right. I get your logic on that. Right. So I, th- so I think Fitzpatrick's a big guy. I think Fitzpatrick is going to get more serious look at like, you know, I think that he's going to go somewhere. Maybe there might be like a competition, quote unquote, or he's really going to enter like a mentor role for a rookie or something like that. But sure. Kick the tires. See what, what Fitzpatrick might run you. Chase Daniels, the guy. Matt Moore looked great for Miami when he was playing. And then they went back to Jay Cutler, which was stupid. Here's the one that I like. Here's the one that I really like. Blaine Gabbert. Go get me some Blaine Gabbert, Mike. Jeez, don't ever Blaine, say that. Blaine Gabbert <laughs> has talent. Blaine, look, I'll put it to you this way. Big arm, strong, mobile. He's not dissimilar from Carson Wentz in these ways. Obviously, there's oh. a big talent gap, right? But he, oh, yeah. you can... He, he can run a similar style of offense and give you similar things to what Carson Wentz gives you. Gabbert's career has been marred by the fact that he has never, ever, ever been in a good situation for quarterbacks ever. He was in Jacksonville when Jacksonville was garbage. He went to San Francisco when San Francisco was garbage. And then he was in Arizona for a year where Bruce Arians was like, yo, I'm retiring by like week five. And so Bruce Arians didn't care. Gabbert is a guy who I'm interested in bringing Gabbert in and seeing what you can develop with him behind. And he's got starting experience. He's been around. He's got a lot of the intangibles that you want. Gabbert's a guy who interests me. Philadelphia should be on the backup quarterback market hard this season. You know it's the offseason because we're talking about Blaine Gabbert because I they can't keep I love me some job. Blaine Gabbert, Mike. Give me some Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> ben, I think that's enough for today. If we get into the Blaine Gabbert of things, I think it's a good time to go. What else do we have for the gentle, gentle listeners? What's up, gentle listeners? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Kissed and Solak show here on Leaning Green Nation Radio. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. That's Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. We do appreciate you tuning in. Thank you so much. New show here at Bleeding Green Nation. We're very excited to be giving you excellent off-season coverage. The draft, free agency, cap structuring, training camp, all of the goodness that Mike and I love so much for the rest of the months. And then, of course, hanging around for the regular season as well. Mike sticking beyond talking Philadelphia Eagles football in their back-to-back Super Bowl campaign as it kicks off in 2018. So thank you so much for swinging by. We hope to catch you again later this week talking a little bit about some draft targets for Philadelphia. We all we got, we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Happy Valentine's Day, Mike. Stretch your hands and I'm going to chop it off. I dare you ask for a favor from your boss's boss. Shrimp, scampi, angel head noodles, white wine sauce. Rwanda and the Ross, reload the Nina Ross. Settle metal when I'm focused on the green Donetto. Hocus Pocus, Gucci Lopez, cake with bacon soda. Cake for soldiers moving weight from Maine to Nova Scotia. Bang revolvers, problem solvers, that and pain the mothers. Lost a child, clips from play when they handle loud. Nightmares, walking dead cause they sleep in You either sheep or shed, be scared to cut the pieces. 
I lust for custom coops with the honey mustard features. Butterfly doors, a whore that makes wine or sober. Her beauty stunning, but she funny, that's the proper order. Head nods and cat calls, cuz it's pops in order. Yeah, I'm stunting all the world is my stage show. Dallas streets cruising around about 4 a.m. Just that fly shit, type you never seen again. No meats, no leather, I'm just pimping a pit. We live that life that you're wishing against. More money, more power, more women and shit. It's me and our motherfucker, who you think this is? Gia, Dallas streets cruising around about 4 a.m. Dallas streets cruising around about 4 a.m. Cruising. Yeah.